I've entitled the message tonight, The Lost Book. And the secondary title, Can the World See That You Are a Christian? Can they tell by looking at your life, by the way you live, what you do, where you like to be? Do they know that you're a Christian, or has the book been lost? First, we want to review. As you may be aware, in January, we were focusing on revival. In February, we are thinking about Reformation. And the very best reference that I've ever found that puts this together is this one from Christian Service, page 42. A revival and a reformation, and what's the next word? Must. So we, we cannot excuse ourselves. We have to be involved. We need a revival and we need a reformation. A revival and a reformation must take place under the ministration of the Holy Spirit. Now, there's no question that the Holy Spirit wants it to happen. So the only question is whether we can become interested in these two things. Revival and reformation are two different things. Revival signifies a renewal of spiritual life a quickening of the powers of mind and heart, a resurrection from spiritual death. So it's kind of a serious admission when we have to admit that we need a revival. But when we have a revival, things are very different. Instead of struggling to get time to study our Bible, instead of struggling to get time to pray, it becomes natural because we've been revived. But now, a lot of people stop there. They don't go on to the Reformation part. Reformation signifies a reorganization, <coughs> a change in ideas and theories habits, and practices. This is where many stop. They like the revival, but when it comes to the Reformation, they stop. But you know what? The revival will stop if we stop at Reformation because the two are dependent on each other. And notice the areas that it talks about. We have to have a reorganization of our thinking. It means we have to give up some of the ideas that we used to have. It means some of the theories that we used to believe we have to let go. And our habits and our practices have to change. And if we are willing to take the next step of reformation, 
and we can get more revival and more reformation and we can keep advancing. It says, Reformation will not bring forth the good fruit of righteousness unless it is connected with the revival of the Spirit. So it doesn't do any good to try to approach people with shaping up and getting rid of all their bad habits unless <coughs> excuse me, they have first had revival. But when we have had revival, we, not, we must take the next step and go into the Reformation part. And you'll notice the final sentence. Revival and Reformation are to do their appointed work, and in doing this work, they must blend. It's kind of like walking. You know, when we learn to march, we learn to put the emphasis on the left foot, left, right, left, right. Well, the left is the revival, and the right is the reformation. And as long as you keep blending the two, you can keep progressing. Now, at different times, we can hear of some wonderful experiences that God's people had. But the sad part is they all died out. They didn't keep going. People got tired of revival and reformation and they stopped. But we are too close to the end for us to approach it that way. We have to get started and keep on going to the finish line. Now we're going to look at a story of Reformation from the Old Testament. It's found in 2 Kings chapter 22, verses 1 through 4. And this is the story of Josiah, an eight-year-old king. You know, God loves to use young people. And here he used, well, the biggest change came when he was 18, but he started as eight. Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord and walked in all the way of David his father and turned not aside to the right hand or to the left. Wow, what a record. That Josiah, starting at eight years old, his testimony was to do faithfully whatever God asked him to do and to follow God like David, his father, did. Not when he made his mistakes, but when he was faithful. And it came to pass in the 18th year of King Josiah that the king sent Shaphan, the scribe, to the house of the Lord, saying, Go up to Hilkiah the high priest. Now, I didn't put the whole story in, but he was wanting to check the finances because they were rescuing the temple from being in disrepair. But when he got there, he discovered something even more important. And Hilkiah the high priest said unto Shaphan the scribe, 
I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. Now you can read between the lines. Can you imagine the carelessness of the priest to lose the book of the law? But it had been lost for a long time. And as they were getting ready to fix up the temple, they discovered the book. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan, and he read it. And Shaphan, the scribe, showed the king, saying, Hilkiah the priest hath delivered me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king. And it came to pass, when the king had heard the words of the book of the law, that he rent his clothes. As he read, which, of course, now we call it the Bible. When he read that portion of the Bible, he recognized that there was need of a tremendous reformation, that God's people had strayed far away from what they were supposed to do. And it was so terrible, the only way he could signify it would be to tear his clothes in horror that God's people would be that far away from what they should be. In uh, a manuscript, 14, 1903, it gives a little insight into his thoughts as he read that book. He was ashamed and painfully distressed as he saw the difference between the way God's people were living and the way the book said they were to be living. He was ashamed and painfully distressed because of the works and ways of the people who had transgressed God's law. Now, do you think the people were aware of what they were doing? No, they were not. But the book revealed that they were far off. As he had in the past seen the idolatry and the impiety existing among them, he had been much troubled. So he was aware of some of it. And as a result, he was, he was really troubled. But now when he read the book and he saw exactly the difference, he was ashamed and painfully distressed. Now, as he read in the book of the law of the punishment that would surely follow such practices, great sorrow filled his heart. That oh, no. All of the punishments that the Word of God has said should fall upon us are, are surely going to fall because we have done it all wrong. Never before had he so fully realized God's abhorrence for sin. Now, one of the things that I've noticed is the parallels with today. You know, today God is presented as such a loving God that no punishment would ever fall, no matter how far away from his plan we go. But that's not Bible truth. Bible truth says if you obey, you get blessed, and if you disobey, you get cursed. And so God is not only a God of love and mercy, but he's a God of justice. And as the king thought about this justice, he thought, wow, it's certainly on the way already. 
Now here's an application I found in regard to this story in the General Conference Bulletin of April 1, 1903. Brethren, have any of you lost the book of the law? Now she's asking all the denominational workers that are gathered together for a general conference session. And she says, have you lost the book? Have not many of us lost sight of the precepts that are in the holy book? And so tonight, those are the questions I want to ask us. Have you lost the book? Has your life, either because you didn't know or because you didn't pay attention, has it drifted away from what the book says our life is to be like? If that question could legitimately be asked of all the leaders of this denomination, I believe it can be asked of us here tonight. Now, here's just a sample of what the king read. And it comes from Deuteronomy 28, verses 58 to 62. Now, this, this has to do with health, but there's all kinds of sections in there about what's going to happen due to disobedience. It says, If thou wilt not observe to do all the words of this law that are written in this book, that thou mayest fear this glorious and fearful name, the Lord thy God, then the Lord will make thy plagues wonderful. And that's not wonderful in the sense that we want to receive. It's like amazing. They're going to be amazing. <clears throat> then the Lord will make thy plagues wonderful and the plagues of thy seed even great plagues and of long continuance and sore sicknesses, and of long continuance. Does that sound very good? Moreover, he will bring upon thee all the diseases of Egypt, which thou wast afraid of, and they shall cleave unto thee. Get the idea, you're trying to get away from those diseases, but they're following after you. Also, every sickness and every plague which is not written in the book of this law them will the Lord bring upon thee until thou be destroyed and ye shall be left few in number. As I said, that's just part of what he read that caused him to rend his clothes. He saw that they deserved everything that was written in that part of the book. And so he was really torn up about it. Going back, here's what he did next. And the king commanded Hilkiah the priest, saying, Go ye, inquire of the Lord for me. So he wasn't just satisfied to, to leave things as they were in fear and trembling for the future. So he said, Go ye, inquire of the Lord for me and for the people and for all Judah concerning the words of this book that is found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is kindled against us, because our fathers have not hearkened unto the words of this book, 
to do according unto all that which is written concerning us. You know, that's where most of us get our errors from, is from what our parents did, what people around us did. If, if the other Adventists are doing it, we get the idea it's okay to do it. And he recognized that this was what brought about such a condition. But it was time for a reformation. God was not going to leave the people in that condition just because that's what they inherited from their parents and from their teachers and from others that were leaders in the church. So Hilkiah the priest and Shaphan went unto Huldah the prophetess. Now there's another parallel. You know, in our church, some people struggle with it a little bit, but we have a woman prophet. Many people would be a lot happier if we had a man prophet, but we have a woman prophet. And in those days, they had a woman prophet. It almost seems like God is saying through this story that this is a forecast of what will be needed by Seventh-day Adventists at the closing of Earth's history, that the parallels are very similar. And God is calling for us to get the point from this story that it is time for a reformation to happen in this church. So Hilkiah the priest and Shaphan went unto Huldah the prophetess. And she said unto them, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Tell the man that sent you to me. Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will bring evil upon this place and upon the inhabitants thereof, <clears throat> even all the words of the book which the king of Judah hath read. So the first message the prophet gives to the scribe, it's all going to happen exactly like you read. Why? Because they have forsaken me and have burned incense unto other gods that they might provoke me to anger with all the works of their hands. Therefore, my wrath shall be kindled against this place and shall not be quenched. Wow. Well, at least now, he knows what's going to happen to Israel, what's going to take place to his nation. This is what's going to happen. However, there was a brighter picture temporarily. But to the king of Judah, which sent you to inquire of the Lord, thus shall ye say to him, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, as touching the words which thou hast heard. Because thine heart was tender, and thou hast humbled thyself before the Lord, when thou heardest what I spake against this place, and against the inhabitants thereof, that they should become a desolation and a curse, and hast rent thy clothes, and wept before me, I also have heard thee, saith the Lord." 
Now, here's the, probably the most important lesson. When God calls to revival and reformation and we wake up like the king did, he can postpone it. He can let some more time go by. But if we don't pay attention, then everything that the book says is going to happen will fall upon us. But here's the best part of the promise. He says, thou shalt be gathered into thy grave in peace. In other words, Josiah, it will not happen in your lifetime because you are set to bring about a reformation in Israel and because of your determination to bring about reformation and your desire to do what the book says, then in your lifetime, it won't happen. Thou shalt be gathered into thy grave in peace, and thine eyes shall not see all the evil which I will bring upon this place. Now, that's kind of sad, too, because God is saying, the Reformation will only be temporary, and I will have to destroy them in the end anyway. But, because of Josiah. Wouldn't you like to be like Josiah? Wouldn't you like to be a part of that number that react like he did to the discovery of how far off the track we've gotten and it's time God is calling us to get back on the track? To help us understand what does God really have in mind for his people, Let's look at a few thoughts from Six Testimonies, page 9. If you have the chance this Sabbath, I would encourage you to read the whole chapter. It's entitled, God's Purpose for, for Us as Seventh-day Adventists. God desired to take his people apart from the world and prepare them to receive his word. He has a Two-step plan. Number one, to get us out of where we were. And I would say that a lot of you, uh, God has called you to this place to get you out of where you were. And the kind of influences and the kind of things that they did where you were. And he is bringing you to a place where you will come in line with God's will. So step one is he gets you out. It's like the children of Israel, the first thing he had to do was to get them out of Egypt. There was no way they could follow God's will uh, fully in Egypt. He had to get them out of Egypt. But look at the miracles that he performed to get them out so that they could be where he could teach them. And then as soon as they got out, within just a few months, they were at Mount Sinai where he was to educate them in all the ways that he wanted them to live. From Egypt, he led them to Mount Sinai, where he revealed to them his glory. You know, God wants to reveal to us. On one hand, he wants to take us away from all the wrong way of doing things. But on the other hand, he wants to reveal his glory to us, where our hearts thrill with his presence. And we know that he is with us and that he is working in our life. That's what he wants to do. But 
he can't find very many willing for such experiences. Same page, it is God's purpose to manifest through his people the principles of his kingdom. You know, we are to preach, it's true. We are to teach, we are to preach, we are to give Bible studies. But what gives the most powerful impact upon the world is how we live our life. That in life and character, they may reveal these principles. He desires to separate them from, and here's that list again, from the customs, habits, and practices of the world. So those of you that are new, you will be exposed to some of these issues. And if you read the handbook, you should have been already exposed to some of them. And you might have wondered, you know, what, what is, why? Why does it ask for that? But it's because God is calling us away from these three things, the customs, the habits, and practices of the world. And you know what he's getting us ready for? To live in heaven. If, if we like it too much, the way people live on earth, their habits, their customs, their practices, if we like that too much, we're not going to feel comfortable in heaven. He's not going to be able to take us there. We would be miserable up there. But he has to get us ready here to turn away from those things so that we can be ready to go to heaven. He desires to separate them from the customs, habits, and practices of the world. He seeks to bring them near to himself that he may make known to them his will. If we will quit saying, oh, do we have to make that change? You know, other people are not doing it. Head elder, he's not doing it. This one's not doing it. I'm not talking about it. Wildwood, I'm talking about where you came from. We need to turn away from that and look at what did he want us to do and follow that. Here's a little more on the purpose that God has for us. Page 11, the Lord desires through his people to answer Satan's charges by showing the result of obedience to right principles. Satan is telling everybody, if you obey, you'll be miserable. Seventh-day Adventists are to testify, no, we're not miserable. We're happy people because we're obeying. <clears throat> Another one, God's people are to be channels for the outworking of the highest influence in the universe. Can there be a higher privilege than that for the most powerful beings in the universe to make us a channel and to work through us to influence the lives of others? And one more. They are to become channels <coughs> through which divine instrumentalities communicate to the world the tide 
of God's love. What a high privilege we have. That's God's purpose for Seventh-day Adventists. But he cannot fulfill his purpose unless we get revived and unless we get reformed. (coughs) And when the law of God is thus exemplified in the life, even, now here's the beautiful part, even the world will recognize the superiority of those, thank you, who love and fear and serve God above every other people on the earth. Wow. Is that something worth going after? Even the people of the world, as they look at Seventh-day Adventists, they will recognize a superior character, even though they see some strange things that we do, but they cannot help but recognize the superiority of those who love and fear and serve God above every other people on the earth. The Lord has his eye upon every one of his people. So that means he's looking at you. He's hoping that you will be one that he can fulfill his purpose through. He has his plans concerning each. It is his purpose that those who practice his holy precepts shall be a distinguished people. They will stand out You will be able to tell wherever you are when you see one of God's people that are revived and reformed, they will be noticeable even to the world. Now, this has always been God's plan. We'll read this from Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 5 through 7. Behold, I have taught you statutes and judgments, Even as the Lord my God commanded me, Moses said, I've been faithful, and I passed on to you the way that you're supposed to live, that ye should do so in the land, whether ye go to possess it. Keep therefore, and do them, for this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the nations which shall hear all these statutes and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. You know, success does not depend upon IQ. Success depends upon practicing what he told us to do and to practice it carefully and thoroughly. Then it says, For what nation is there so great who hath God so nigh unto them? And so they see that God is among us. You know, I've been reading a book that was very fascinating in regard to one of the missionaries that went to the Solomon Islands long, long ago. There was a demon-possessed chief. And he was determined, he had about 50 men, he was determined that no 
everybody from the outside would come to that island. But God called this missionary to go to that island. Others had tried and fled in terror, but he decided that God was leading. And so he, he landed on the island, he walked up the beach, and of course he was being watched, and the, the chief and all of his men came rushing down upon him, and he stood there trusting God entirely. The chief came up to him and grabbed his shoulder and was really causing quite a bit of pain and was planning to do a lot more. And all of a sudden, an angel grabbed that man and threw him on the sand, and he left him alone. And as a result, the gospel came to that island. We know so little of what it's like to have God among us but he wants us to experience that. He wants us to get close enough to him that he can do things like that if necessary, whatever is needed to advance his work. For what nation is there so great who hath God so nigh unto them as the Lord <clears throat> our God is in all things that we call upon him for? That was God's plan from the beginning. <clears throat> but you know, when Jesus came to earth, the plan was the same. He worded it in a different way, but here's what he said in Matthew 4, 4. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Jesus did not live by a few words of the book. He did not live by many words of the book. He lived by every word of the book as an example to us that that is our calling as well, that we are to live by every word in the book. Notice this uh, mention of this idea in Mount of Blessing, page 52. Whenever men choose their own way, they place themselves in controversy with God. Is that what we want? No. If we think about it, we don't want to be in controversy with God. Well, if we don't want to be in controversy, we have to do His will. And His will is revealed in the book. They will have no place in the kingdom of heaven, for they are at war with the very principles of heaven. In disregarding the will of God, they are placing themselves on the side of Satan, the enemy of God and man. And then it comes to this point. Not by one word, not by many words, but by every word that God has spoken shall man live. Is that the way we're living? Or are we living by a few words that Jesus gave in his book? Maybe we're even living by many words, but it's time to be living by all the words of the book. We cannot disregard one word, however trifling it may seem to us, and be safe. We do not dare to ignore a thus saith the Lord anymore. 
it is time for us to be getting ready for those final movements. In closing, I want to examine with you four ways that people lose the book. Now, I'm sure you know where your Bible is, but there's other ways to lose the book other than the way they lost it in the story. Back then, there were very few copies of the book, and so every book, was, every copy was very precious, and they needed to guard it very carefully. But today, we have the same book everywhere. Maybe you even have more than one copy. But many have lost the book. Number one, you have it, but you don't read it. Too busy doing this and that and other things that seem important, and so you don't read it. If we don't read it, there's one thing for sure. It's some of the instructions in there will not be seen by us. We will not realize what it's telling us because we weren't diligently reading the book. And there's another aspect too, and that is that we have such good forgetters that if you read what you should do and you don't put it into practice right away, you will forget that you were supposed to practice that. And so this is another aspect of losing the book. The second one is you read it, but do not grasp the meaning. Either you're too hasty or you don't think about it or you don't pray about it. You don't ask the Lord to make plain what this is talking about. And so you, you read the book, all right, but you, it's like you lost it. You, you aren't really getting it. If he could come to you and say, you're not doing this, you read it, but you're still not doing it, that would wake us up maybe, but he, he works through the Holy Spirit to help us. Number three, you read it but argue that times have changed so we don't need to do it. Boy, that's a big one. You've probably heard that many times with people who have been reading and they figure that's no longer important. Nobody else is doing it anyway right now, so we don't need to do that. But once God puts it down on paper for us, he doesn't take it away. It's still there, and it's still important to follow it. And number four, you fail to realize that whatever the Spirit of Prophecy says is biblical and is really the true meaning of the Bible. Now, here's a big mistake that a lot of people are making. They read their Bible. It's not explicit on some points, and so they think it's okay to keep on doing what they're doing. But if they were to read in the spirit of prophecy, the woman prophetess that God has given us in this hour, if they read there, it makes it so plain, they can't say that unless they say, well, it was written so long ago, we don't need to do it anymore. And there's a lot of people saying that, but I hope that you won't listen to that reasoning. Because here's a quote to help us on it. 
Some who profess to make the word of God their steady are found living in direct opposition to its plainest teachings. Here they are, they're reading their Bible. They're, they're not doing what the Bible says, but they think they are. And the only way God could help them is to send another prophet to explain it in greater detail. Some who profess to make the word of God their steady are found living in direct opposition to its plainest teachings. Then, to leave men and women without excuse, God gives them plain and pointed testimonies, bringing them back to what? The word, meaning the Bible. So the testimonies that God gave to Ellen White is to make plain what the Bible says and to bring us to a correct understanding of what the Bible says. God gives them plain and pointed testimonies, bringing them back to the word they have neglected to follow. So what that brings to our attention then is that not only should we be reading our Bible, but we should be reading the instruction that was given to Ellen White for the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Because our eyes have been blinded to many issues, and the only way that we're going to get them uncovered is to read in detail what the Bible was really saying. And thus, when we are doing that, we will be involved in reformation because we will discover things that we are doing that we shouldn't have been doing, that God told us not to do. But we just, for whatever reason, we kept on doing it. But it's too late now. God is looking and calling a people who are willing to receive revival, but as soon as they receive revival, are willing to also receive reformation and to begin to check their life out. And when they hear something, you know, just because somebody thinks you should do it, doesn't mean you have to do it, but we should check it out. And if it is something that God said that we should do, then the quicker we start doing it, the better off we're going to be. And this reformation is going to take place this time among the true followers. It's not going to stop. It's going to keep on going until the latter rain is poured out and the work is finished. And now is the time when he's looking for people like Josiah that they realize as they read some things or even hear some things, they realize, wow, we have drifted away. <clears throat> but it's time while God's <clears throat> mercy uh, exists, while he is patiently waiting, it is time for us to get back to reading the book and following all the instructions that he's given us.